Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, we're continuing in our series entitled A Walk with Abraham. And I hope you're enjoying this series thus far. This series, A Walk with Abraham, is really a roller coaster ride. Because you're going to see in this man's story that there are high highs and low lows. And there's some moments where this great man of faith who is a patriarch to multiple religions, the Jewish people hail him, of course, as the father of their nation, us as Christians, he's a patriarch to us. And even in the Muslim religion, they view Abraham as a patriarch to them. So we see this great man in human history, but we also see his failures. We also see his faults. We see his fears. We see the moments when he's full of faith and obeying God, and we see the lows of when he's fearful and hiding and lying and deceiving in order to cover himself. And I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. It's encouraging to me to see a man that the Bible it calls the friend of God. That's what he's known as. He's known as the friend of God. We see him afraid. We see him fearful. We see him make mistakes. And I don't know about you, but it encourages me because that's just how patient and faithful our God is. Come on, somebody. It's how faithful and patient and merciful our God is. So I hope that you can relate to that. Now, today we get to look at one of Abram's finer moments. And we're gonna interchange the name Abram and Abraham because his name has not yet been changed. God has not changed his name. His name is still Abram, which means exalted father. And the irony of that is that he doesn't have any kids at this point. His name means exalted father and God will soon change his name to Abraham or the father of many nations. And so if you will go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 13, verse one, this is what it says. So Abram left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev along with his wife and Lot and all that they had, excuse me, and all that they owned. Now, just to catch you up a little bit, last week we talked about Abram going down into Egypt. And now he's coming back up into the land of Canaan. Now, in Egypt, again, a brief summary, in Egypt, he left the land of Canaan to go there because of fear. He was led by his fear. He was not led by his faith. And he's in the land of compromise. And while he's in the land of compromise, the, the, the leader of Egypt, Pharaoh, recognizes the beauty of his wife and says, I want her. And Abram lies and he says, well, that's my sister, which is half true because it was his half truth, excuse me, his half sister. But as many of you know, a half truth is also a half lie. So he's, he's lying to Pharaoh and God has to step in and bring about this judgment on Pharaoh, which was a foreshadowing of what the judgment that God would one day bring on Pharaoh in Egypt when he's bringing his people out of Egypt. So he has this moment and he gives Sarai back to Abram. Abram's now leaving Egypt to go right back to the place that he should have been the whole time, the land of Canaan. 
But this time, things are a little different. He's repentant. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But for a moment, can I just share a thought that I have about this? That had to be a very awkward conversation on the way back to Egypt. I mean, excuse me, on the way back to Canaan. Can you imagine? He's got his camels. They have all of their sheep, all of that stuff. And he leans over. Hey, I'm sorry about that whole selling you to Pharaoh thing. I apologize. You know, hopefully this card makes up for it. But nonetheless, Abram's repented. Verse 2, Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. He was rich prior to this moment. He was a wealthy man prior to this moment, but now he's even more wealthy. He has a lot more because, again, Pharaoh gave him a lot of wealth in exchange for Sarai, his wife. And even though he has this great wealth, I posed this thought to you last week. Don't tell me how much money and how much wealth that you have. Tell me what you did to get it. Tell me what it cost you. Tell me what you had to compromise in order to gain it. And was it worth it? Was it worth it? There are so many of us who we say things like, man, I'm blessed, but you gained your quote-unquote blessings by cheating and manipulating other people. Is that really a blessing from God? For others of us, we, we work so hard and we strive and we're always grinding and we're never giving our attention to our wife or giving our attention to our children. And one day you look back and you have all of this great wealth and all of these blessings, but what you don't have is anyone to enjoy it with. Because you've compromised your family on the altar of your success. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And we see here, Abram, blessed by God, but some of these things that came to him came from compromise. And again, I encourage you, don't compromise your family. Don't compromise your integrity. Don't compromise your relationship with God on the altar of blessings and wealth. Verse 3, from the Negev, they continued traveling by stage, by stages towards Bethel. And they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai, or I is a better, better wording for it, where they had camped before. This was the same place where Abram had built the altar, and there he worshiped the Lord again. Everyone say again. Again. Abram went back to the place that he was before. Abram went back to the place that he should have been the whole time. What is that? That's called repentance. Repentance is when you go back to what you were supposed to be doing the whole time. You go back to God's original intention for you from the very beginning. This is a picture of what true repentance actually is. Another picture is what we talked about in the, this prioritized series in the very first message when we talk about in the book of Revelations where Jesus is speaking to John the Revelator or John the Apostle and he tells him to say this to the church of Ephesus. You have lost your first love. And he doesn't just tell them that. He says, turn and do the things that you once did. Repentance comes with fruit. Repentance comes with action. Repentance comes with turning, going in the opposite direction. That's, liter- that's what the word actually means, to turn and go in the opposite direction and do the opposite of what you were once doing. 
I don't know about you, but I, have, I, I like to cut my GPS on when I'm not exactly sure where I'm going or if my wife is next to me and I don't want to let her see me get lost. And I, I don't know about you, but I like to put the, the British accent on there because this seems more calming and peaceful. Please make a U-turn. It's not as harsh as turn and go the other way, right? I like that. And there's times when I'm going in the wrong direction that I hear that voice telling me turn and go in the other direction. That's a picture of, again, repentance. Repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is turning and going back the right way. It's doing the right thing once again. This is the way Wayne Grudem defines this. A biblical scholar says, a heartfelt sorrow for sin a renouncing of it, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. That is his definition of repentance. It is, I'm sorry. It is, I recognize what I've done. But it's also a turning and going in the opposite direction. Let me speak from the heart for a moment to you, to couples. When you're repenting to your spouse or apologizing to your spouse, can I tell you what not to do? Don't say, I'm sorry, but. Because whatever you say after that but completely negates everything that you said before that. And I'm not saying there's there's not moments when you need to give a reason for your action, but you should never give an excuse for your action when you're repenting. You don't say, I'm sorry, but you. I'm sorry, but I wouldn't have done that if you, that's not repentance. That's not even a sincere apology. Repentance sounds like this. I'm very sorry for what I did to you. I have no excuse, and I will not do it again. That's what repentance looks like. When you hear that, that's what you receive. That's what you forgive. That's what you turn away from. And we can recognize that in our relationships, but let me go a step further. This is how we need to do it with God. God, I repent for this thing that I've been doing, and Lord, I'm turning away from it. I'm not going to just say, God, I'm sorry, even though I plan, I have plans to go out and do it tomorrow night as well. Lord, I'm sorry. I can't believe I keep doing this, but I'm going to commit myself to these actions, God. But I'm really sorry. That's not repentance. Repentance turns and goes in the opposite direction. And I love the wording of this. It says, a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. It's a heartfelt, sincere, Lord, I'm sorry, and I'm going to try to never do this again. Now, does repentance mean that you never do that thing again? If you're walking out of it and you're growing out of it, then more than likely you're going to fall again. But here's the beauty of repentance. It's really the heart that says, God, I never want to do it again. And God will meet you in that place and give you the grace and the ability to not do it again. This is what I mean by that. God's not going to give you the grace to change if he knows it's not really in your heart to change. But if it's in your heart and you're sincere and there's legitimate repentance towards him, all of a sudden God now gives you the opportunity and the grace and the relationships and the people to help you walk out of that sin. Are y'all tracking with me? 
That's the way grace and repentance works. So we see here in Abram's life, he's repenting and he's turning and he's going back to the place that he once was. Let's continue, verse five. Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all of their flocks and herds living so close together. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. And at that time, Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land. Now, at this stage, both of these men, Abram and Lot, are wealthy. Now, who is Lot? If you remember, Lot was Abram's brother's son. Abram had a brother named Haran who died, and Abram assumed the responsibility of taking care of his son, Lot. And so Abram is now taking care of Lot like Lot is his own son. But now we get to this place where both of them are blessed. Both of them are wealthy. Both of them have a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, stuff can sometimes cause you problems. Stuff can cause you conflict. I've heard it said even recently that their lottery lottery winners who said the worst thing that ever happened to me was winning the lottery. Because now I don't know who I can trust. Now I don't know if we're in relationship because you need me or you're in relationship just because you love me. And they have now complicated this relationship because now there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of wealth. And not only is there a lot of livestock and all of these things within the the tribe that they they now have, but they're living in someone else's land. They're still in the land of the Canaanites and the Perizzites. They are in the land of Canaan. So the Canaanites have the best of the land, and now Abram and Lot have all of these blessings, but they don't have enough to sustain these blessings. And with that comes conflict. Now, what's ironic about this is There's no conflict mentioned when they didn't have a lot of stuff. There's no conflict mentioned when Abram was just taking care of Lot. When Lot simply needed Abraham, the Bible mentions nothing about conflict between these two men. But now that stuff is involved and they're both blessed, now Lot's got a few hairs popping out of his chest. Now Lot has a different perspective because he's saying, I'm just as good as Abram. My sheep are just as good as Abram's sheep. And we start to see this conflict, and potentially that's his heart, but we're going to read into what actually happens. But I'll tell you this, sometimes when people feel like they don't need you any longer, that's when their hearts get revealed. Sometimes when they don't, they don't, they don't have to depend on you, now all of a sudden you start to see what was really in their hearts to begin with. They say, Lot probably says something like, you know what, I don't really need Abram anymore, so now I can start to be honest about my criticisms of him. You know what, Abram, I don't like the color of your camels. As a matter of fact, I don't like the way you chew with your mouth open. I've got some thoughts, Abram, that I want to share with you. Lot's older now, and now the conflict comes. And I want, to be, I want to be fair to the text because the text tells us that it doesn't say Abram and Lot had a dispute. What it says is the herdsmen of Abram and Lot 
had a dispute. They were disputing the land. They were trying to feed their animals, and Abram's sheep are over there, and Lot, Lot is talking to his herdsmen. His herdsmen are like, look at Abram's sheep. They just think they're perfect, just fo- frolicking all over the place like they're better than our sheep. But here's what I want you to see in this. Abram's heart and Lot's heart are about to be exposed. Because Lot, if Lot's heart was filled with honor for Abram, then guess what? He would have spoke to the heart of his herdsmen. When his herdsmen were coming to him with accusations about Abram, that was the moment for Lot to say, this man took care of me, took me in as his son. I am not going to dishonor him. But instead, what likely happened is Lot, the dishonor in his heart was exposed. And he sat back and he said, yeah, his his sheep do think they're better than ours. No, no, no. Our sheep have just as much right to this as theirs do. And instead of him speaking the truth and leading the charge, he instead let the dishonor in his heart trickle down into the people that he led. Be very careful. When you start seeing people around you that you lead, dishonoring others is often a reflection of the dishonor in your own heart. And that's where we see Lot, which should have overshadowed this conflict. Honor is put aside for what's best for them. And I want you to see something. Honor and humility will often defeat bitterness. It will defeat bitterness. But when there's a lack of honor and a lack of humility, what do you find? Bitterness. Unforgiveness. Bitterness. That's what we're seeing. And we're also seeing the difference between maturity and immaturity. We're going to see the difference between a mature response to this conflict and an immature response to this conflict. Let's take a look at the immature response. This is what immaturity says. I have something to prove. I am just as good as you. You are no better than me. Immaturity tries to prove its worth, prove its existence, show that it is valuable, and you overcompensate in order to prove something that everyone already knows, that you're valuable. That's what immaturity does. But I want you to also see the approach of maturity and what maturity does. Verse 8, finally Abram sat down, excuse me, said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. Now, two things about Abram's maturity that I want you to see. Number one, Abram assumed the responsibility for this conflict. He didn't let it fester. He didn't let it linger. Maturity engages conflict. It engages the problem. And I've I've said this many times from this pulpit, but there's a huge difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers in the Sermon on the Mount. He didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. Peacekeepers say, I I will do whatever, I'll just, whatever. Let me just keep the peace. Let's not have a conflict. Let's not have, let's not engage this. La, 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 la. I'm not mad at you. You're not mad at me. That's what peacekeepers do. Peacemakers say, no, that's a problem. And the only way we're going to have real peace is if we engage the problem. And that's what Abram does. And not only does he engage the problem, I want you to see this. He handles it with great humility. And he honors someone who potentially was not honoring him. 
He took care of Lot. He took Lot in when he didn't have a father. The blessings that Lot have are directly connected. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Directly connected to the blessings of God on Abram. Yet he still honors Lot in this moment. Abram went low. He took the humble path. He took the honoring path. Do we do that? Do you take that path? When you're facing conflict, when you're, when you're engaging with a brother or a sister or even a family member, a physical blood family member, do you take the humble path or do you fight for your own rights? Do you fight to prove, no, I'm valuable too, because that is the difference between maturity and immaturity. How you engage it and the posture of your heart as you're engaging it. And we see here a great example shining for us of humility and honor of a mature man of God. And Abram actually models what we see in the book of Philippians chapter 2, what the apostle Paul tells us. He says this in verse 3. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. We don't like that. And we'll often say things like, well, you're no better than me. Of course, that's the truth, and they know that. We all know that. But the posture of our heart should be to prefer others. To prefer others. And this translation, and excuse me, another translation of this same scripture says that. It says to prefer one another in love. I used to hear my pastor say this all the time. Pastor Jacob used to say it from this pulpit many times 16 years ago when I was first coming around here. I remember him saying the true test of whether or not you have a servant's heart is how you handle it when you're treated like one. How do you handle when you're treated like a servant? Do you stand up on the inside or for some of you on the outside? Or do you recognize your security in Christ? Do you recognize who God says you are and walk in that? The Apostle Paul continues in verse 4. It says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Again, prefer one another. Y'all tracking with me this morning? Prefer one another. Again, Lot has likely needed Abram up until this point. And what we're getting ready to see is just who God was really blessing. See, sometimes there's people in our lives that They think that they're blessed, but really, they're just getting the blessings from God that are an overflow from your life. And every parent of a teenager said, amen. (laughs) Sometimes people are blessed by proximity to someone that God is blessing. And they assume that that blessing is them. This happens whenever you leave a blessed company and you think, I made this company. And you get there and you don't thrive. Because the blessing was not on you, the blessing was on that company. Or when you leave a family and you think, I'm just as good as everybody in this family, and you leave and you don't have the same success as the family because the blessing was on the family and you were blessed by that by proximity. Are y'all with me? And sometimes it takes getting away from the blessing to see just how blessed you really were. Sometimes it takes going through the problems, going through what we're getting ready to see Sodom and Gomorrah in order for you to see where the blessing actually lied. 
Lot's like, you know what? I'm a man now. I don't need Abraham. He's probably thinking, God is with me the same way God's with him, or at least one of the gods, whichever one it is, is with me because I'm just as blessed as Abram is, not recognizing that his blessings came from Abram. Because God, Abram was following God, and Lot was following Abram. The blessings came to Abram. And as long as he was with Abram, he was blessed. Let's keep going. This reminds me of a story in the book of Exodus, when Moses had led the children of Israel out of Pharaoh's clutches, and he's now in the wilderness with them for 40 years, and his brother and his sister, God had spoken through Aaron and spoken through Miriam, and God had used them. But all of a sudden, they start criticizing Moses. And they're criticizing Moses because Moses married a Cushite woman, and it was an interracial relationship, which that's a whole other message. I'll preach that one another time. (laughs) But they're criticizing him because of that. And they start saying things like, you know what? God uses us the same way he uses Moses. Who does Moses think he is? God uses us too. I'm somebody too. In other words, I have my own sheep, my own. And the Bible says, and I love this, this is where the scripture is said of Moses that he was the most humble man on the earth. It's in context of this conversation, in conflict of this, excuse me, in context of this conflict that we see this said of Moses, which tells me Moses did what Abram did and he humbled himself. He let God fight his battles. He didn't rise up and strike Miriam and Aram. He let God take care of it, and God took care of it. God called the three of them for a meeting with himself, and this is what God said. He told Aaron and Miriam, he said, when I speak to prophets, and he had used them as prophets. He said, when I speak to prophets, I speak to them in dreams, in visions, in riddles. But when I speak to Moses, I speak to him face to face like a man does his friend. And because that's the case, why were you not afraid to criticize him? And God dealt with Aaron and dealt with Miriam. And you know who didn't have to fight that battle? Moses. What am I saying? Humble yourself. Go low. When others come at you, go low. There's stories of this all throughout the Bible of going low when you feel like you have the right to go high. God can fight your battles far better than you can. Let's keep going. Here's Lot. He's getting ready to see where the blessings actually come from. And Abram's humbling himself. Verse 8. Finally, Abram said to Lot, again, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we're family. We're close relatives. Verse 9, the whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want, and we will separate. Who did God give this land to? It's not a trick question. It's actually written up there on the screen in the top right. Who did God give this land to? Yet we see Abraham preferring Lot. In his humility, we're saying, we see him saying, I will prefer you. You can have the first pick. The blessing didn't come to Lot. The blessing came to Abram. But in Abram's humility, he said, here, I would rather have the relationship. 
Church, can I tell you something? I've heard my, my spiritual father, Pastor Jim LaFoon, I've heard him say this. He said, I would rather lose together than win alone. And the older I get, the more I see that to be true. I'd rather lose together than win alone. Because when, when I was younger, it was all about what I had to prove. It was all about me standing out. It was all about people seeing me as special or my gifts and what I can contribute. But the older I get, the more I realize I just want to do it with family. I want to obey God with my family. I want us to succeed in God's kingdom. I want us to build the kingdom of God in Acadiana. This is not about me. This is about us. And this is the position that Abram takes. And he says, if you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land on the right. If you prefer the land on the right, I'll go to the left. He prefers his nephew. And now we get to see more insight into the heart of this man, Lot. Verse 10. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the, gar the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot, not led by the promises of God, is led by what he sees. And what's interesting about this is this, what can we take from this? Number one, do we do this? Are we led by what we see? Are we led by our desires in the moment, not taking into account what those desires are going to cost us on the back end? Not cognizant of what those things can do in our lives in those moments of temptation, those moments of weakness, because they cost us more than we want to give. You've heard the saying, you give the devil an inch and he'll take a mile. You give the enemy 30 minutes of weakness and he'll give you 30 years of hardship. And we don't often take into consideration what, when we see something and we go, I want that, and we take that. We don't see what it's going to do. And I've heard Miss Michelle say this many times, you never know what's on the other side of your obedience. Listen to me, church. You never know what's on the other side of your disobedience. You never know what it will cost you to say, I'm going to disobey God. You have no idea, but you should think about those things before you decide. And as a matter of fact, for some of you, that is a warning to you even right now. There are decisions that you're facing. And I sense this by the Spirit of God. There are decisions that some of you are facing right now, and this is the warning to prevent you from those 30 years of hardship. Don't do it. Don't do it. The Bible tells us as well, and it's very, when the Bible gives us something, it's not just to throw it out, there's a point. It said that this land was like the land of Egypt. Now, where did Lot just come from? He just came from Egypt. And whereas Abram learned a valuable lesson in Egypt, and he learned how he should trust in God and depend on the Lord, what Lot learned was, I like that. I like the way they do that. I like the way that looks. I like the way I felt when that happened. Listen to me, you can take a man out of Egypt, but you cannot take Egypt out of a man. 
And as a matter of fact, for 40 years, when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and they're wandering around the wilderness for 40 years, what was God doing? God had taken them out of Egypt, but he had to take 40 years of getting Egypt out of them. They're crying for leeks and onions and God wants to give them a promised land. God has something so much better for them. And all they see is what they want, the same way all Lot saw was what he wanted in the moment. Are y'all tracking with me? So Lot says, I want that. Now, just like we mentioned in the first week, I believe, Egypt was like Ur of the Chaldeans, where Abram came from. And now we're seeing the Jordan River Valley is just like Egypt. Why? Because there was a river that went through these places. In Israel, it's a lush place, but it's dependent on the rain. You have to trust God for rain. But when there's a river valley, when there's a river going through it, guess what? And you don't have to trust God because the river, your system is what you trust to provide for you. That's going to be there. And Lot says, you know what? I'm not going to prefer Abram. That's what I want. I can trust in that. I don't have to worry about famines. I'm going there, not knowing that that is right next to Sodom and Gomorrah in a place of wickedness. And he goes to that place because it was appealing to his eyes. Now, something else that I want you to see. Lot was what we would call a tag-along. And some of you in this place, if we're being transparent, you're a tag-along. You're in church because your wife said we're going to church today. You're in church because your parents said you're going to church today. Some of you are in church because that woman you're trying to impress, you're like, surely this will work. (laughs) If this doesn't do it, I don't know what else will. Right? And you're tagging along. Can I just encourage you? One, I'm glad you're here. But two, I hope that you you transition from being a tag-along into being someone who has the relationship with God that they have. That's what God wants for you. He doesn't just want you to get the blessings that come from proximity of others. He wants you to have the relationship with him that gives you the exact same blessings, the exact same fruitfulness, the exact same relationship can be yours if you're willing to submit and follow him. But sometimes we want our cake and we want to eat it too. I want the blessings of being in proximity with godly people. But I want to do what I want to do with my own life. And there will come a moment, trust me, and I'm speaking specifically to my young people here. There will come a moment when that separation will come and you will see where the blessings came from. You will see where the favor came from. You will see where the protection came from. You will see why in those moments when that thing should have happened to you and didn't happen to you, it didn't happen to you because of your parents' prayers. One day you will see that. But my hope and my desire for you is that you have that relationship so now it can come from your own fruitful relationship with Jesus. Don't be a tag along. I hope you experience this. Verse 11. Lot chose for himself the whole river valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. And when he parted ways with Abram, I want you to see something and just 
how good, how gracious, and how sovereign our God is. Abram's been taking care of Lot this whole time. And the very next scripture tells us what God does when this moment happens. Verse 12, so Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities in the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and consistently sinned against the Lord. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, look as far as you can see in every direction, north, south, east, and west. I am giving all this land as for you, excuse me, as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction for I am giving it to you. So the Lord moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. There he built another altar to the Lord. After Lot leaves, God once again shows up and strengthens his commitment to Abram. And I wonder, I just, I wonder. At this time, Abram had no children. And he'd taken care of Lot like his own son. And I wonder if Abram assumed or thought that because I'm taking care of Lot like my own son, that these blessings are going to come to Lot because he's like my son and I don't have any kids. And now that this separation has happened, God confirms all the more, I wasn't blessing Lot, I was blessing you. And not only was I blessing you, Abram, I'm not done blessing you. I'm going to give you descendants and I'm going to give you all of the land that you see. It's all going to belong to you. You did the right thing. You humbled yourself. You honored me. You obeyed me. Now watch what I do on your behalf. Listen to me, church. You don't have to defend yourself. God defends you. God defends you. Your responsibility is to honor, to honor him, to walk humbly. I'm not talking about avoiding conflict because, again, Abram initiated the conflict. But within the conflict, he was humble and honoring. He was humble and honoring. And we get to see where the blessings actually lie. God comes to him after this potentially heartbreaking moment and says, Abram, I'm with you. I haven't changed my mind. And the descendants are going to come from you. I'm going to make good on my promises. And Abram once again trusted the Lord. So here's my question. Are there people in your life that God is separating you from? Are there people in your life that you've left in your life as a tag along, but the truth is, Maybe you're not like Abram in this regard. Maybe they're pulling you away from God. You've heard it said many times from this pulpit, you show me your five closest friends and I will show you your destiny. I will show you your future. Are there tagalongs left in your life that are influencing you more than you're influencing them? And they're pulling from you. They may not be pulling physical wealth from you, but they're pulling spiritual wealth from you every time you're around them. You're losing virtue every time you're around them because you're allowing compromise into your life. Is God separating you from 
some people. And truthfully, for some of you, God is separating you not only from bad people, but there's been good people in your life that God's separating you from. Because he has a different path for you than he does for them. Listen to me, that's okay as well. Here's your responsibility. Walk honorably, walk humbly, and follow the Lord. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the examples that we see all throughout Scripture, all throughout your word. Thank you for the lessons and the things that we can pull from it to grow. Thank you for the example of Abram's faults as well as his successes. And I pray for your people today that we would walk humbly before you that we would be people of honor, that we would prefer others as better than ourselves, that, Lord, we would speak honestly because honesty is honor. But in that honesty, we would walk in humility before you, trusting you as our God and following you as our leader. Bless your people today. Bless them today your eyes closed and your heads bowed. You know, I mentioned earlier that for some of you, you don't have the relationship with God that those you're with have. I want to give you an opportunity to change that. Today could be the moment that changes everything for you. Where you no longer live off of the faith of your parents or your girlfriend or your, your spouse or whatever, whoever drew you into this place, but that faith can become your own faith. If you're here this morning, I'm challenging you to be what the Bible calls born again. And that phrase, born again, is exactly how it sounds. It is the old you dying and the new you arising. And the Bible calls you us new creations when we're born again. Pastor, what does that mean? What's that, what is that process like? What do I have to do? It's as simple as ABC. A, you admit. Admit what? That you're a sinner. That there's sin in your life. You have gone in the wrong direction. And you've separated yourself from God. Not because of your quote-unquote mistakes, but because of your choices. You admit that and you're honest enough to say it. But then B, you believe. You believe what? That God sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sin, to wash you clean, so that everything you've done up until this point can be completely washed clean by his sacrifice and his blood because he loved you that much. But then C, you confess confess that he is now the Lord of your life, that you're making a fresh commitment to answer the calling of Jesus, which is simply this, come follow me. Come follow me. If you say that you want to make that call, you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life and follow him with no one looking around on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to just lift up your hand because I want to acknowledge who I'm praying with. And then I'm going to lead all of us in a prayer together. And it's not the prayer that saves you. It's nothing magical, mystical about the prayer. It's simply a prayer of surrender. But the grace of God is going to save you right where you're at today. 
One, two, three. If that's you, lift up your hand. If you say, that's me, Pastor Gabe, I want to be born again. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hands up front. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand back there, sir. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Anyone else? Lift it up high. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. This is your moment of surrender. Listen, if you raised your hand with no one else looking around, I want you to just look up at me for a moment. The reason I'm having you look up at me is I want you to remember my face and remember this moment because this is the line of demarcation. This is the moment everything changes. This is the moment that your fresh start, your brand new beginning happens now. You can close your eyes, bow your head. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together. Say these words with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with God the Father. I turn away from my sin. I repent of my sin. And I choose to answer your call to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you are my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with every person that prayed that prayer today. Listen to me, if you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. Before I pray to release you and have you stand, I want to encourage you, if you prayed that, to do two things, just two things. One, keep coming. When Jesus calls us, he doesn't call us as individuals. He calls us into a family, and the family of God follows him. There were disciples that followed him together. That's all right. I'll yell if I have to. But then secondly, I want to encourage you to tell someone about the decision that you made. If you made that decision to follow Jesus, tell someone. You can do that by taking the card in the pew pocket in front of you and filling it out and turning it in to our info desk or leaving it on the seat. Or you can simply find one of your brothers and sisters and say, hey, what do I do now? How do I do this? And we can begin following Jesus together as a family. Stand to your feet. I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. Are you glad you came to the house of God today? good. We're going to have our prayer partners up front if you need prayer. And also, if you're interested in signing up for our water baptism, we're going to be baptizing people on the 22nd of October. Make sure you sign up. If you've never been baptized and never made that step to go public with your faith, please do so. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for your people. And God, I pray you would bless them, that you would keep them, that you would make your face to shine on them, and that you would bless them and they're going out and they're coming in. And that all that they put their hands to for the sake of your kingdom and for your great name would be blessed. And as a church, I pray that we would be a pure church that walks in the fear of the Lord. That we would be a powerful church that walks in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we would be a persistent church even in the face of challenges. And all God's people said, amen.